So the series is You Are Here, and by that we're meaning to communicate. It really serves a couple of purposes. Even the title, You Are Here, the series title, it says in some ways that here we are at Ogletown, and all of us are, are here, present specifically, maybe for this particular Sunday, maybe for this particular season. We might be here for a variety of reasons, but for whatever purposes, here we are. And so kind of acknowledging that fact, but there's something else that we want to acknowledge even as we we say we are here, and that is the fact that we can assess here we are in light of where we want to go or how we want to grow as a church family. We're asking those kind of questions. What can we do as a church to grow? How can we grow in our mission? So last week I I gave uh, a, a definition or a description or a mission said that Ogletown Baptist Church is a growing family who follows Jesus. We follow Jesus together. That means we're a family. And our our mission is clear. We're to help others follow Jesus. That's all of us. So if if this is the goal, if this is what we're reaching for, then a question becomes, what can we do to be more of that strong, maturing church family? That sending church family. And, and what part can you play and what part will you play? Is there really something that all of, us, all of us are needed for? Or is that just kind of a nice slogan to rally the troops? Yeah, everybody's needed. Everybody's got a part. Is that, is that all that is? Or is there a true reality that as God works here, it will require every one of us? What does it mean for us to do church together. And over the next three weeks, I just want to lay some very basic concepts before us and really unpack those. To do so this morning, I want to give a, a couple different scenarios, if you will. So use, use your imagination with me. Imagine, first of all, let's just call a person family number one. Maybe a family, maybe a person, whichever you'd like to kind of go with in your mind. This person, this family, they're great. You li- you'd like them. Very nice. They're your kind of people. They are incredibly busy. If you saw their schedule, you would say, that doesn't even begin to work. They're going here and there, perhaps as family obligations, work obligations, juggling all sorts of things in their life. It impacts them so much. I mean, that maybe they're coming off a crazy weekend or maybe they're coming off of a, a crazy vacation weekend where they were gone and missed a, missed a couple of weeks. But it, whatever, whatever it is, life is crazy. And by the time they get to Sunday morning, it's like the only breathing room in their life. It's their only breathing space in their life. And so then the question becomes, I mean, do we like shoehorn church into this crazy schedule? Or would, or would we be better off just, I mean, we've got Saturday night commitments, we've got Sunday afternoon commitments, maybe even Sunday morning commitments. Is there, is there really a place to, to do this? And maybe there was a day when church was, was easier to get to. And then justifications come as to why maybe it's not like the go-to priority. It's, well, you know, I mean, sometimes you just don't feel like going. It's not good when you have those impulses near the pastor, let me just tell you. And those, those begin to add up. You don't, you don't feel like going or there's this other thing you're trying to get to. 
And truth be told, I mean, can't we just worship God wherever we are? Worship God in nature? Worship God on the golf course? I've tried that. I don't do much worshiping on the golf course. Maybe that's related to my game. But I, God's everywhere. Can't you just worship him in your heart? Can't you do that on Thursday? What, what's significant about Sunday? Do you really need to be at a place? That's kind of scenario one, family one, person one. For whatever reason, it's just not quite the priority. These kind of gatherings are just not. There's another person, another family I could describe. I mean, once again, this would be a great family, great person, great people. You would want to be friends with these kinds of people. And, and they're the people that actually are present pretty regularly. For whatever reason, I mean, church just kind of been part of, part of what they do. Maybe they grew up that way. They kind of have their role and their routine. It's, they see some friends. They help out with this or that. It's kind of part of their rhythm. It helps kind of settle life a little bit. But the fact is, it's been a long time, a long time, since it was anything much more than just kind of a role and a routine that they go through. It's been a long time. Maybe once it was. It's been a long time since it was that. There's no longer any sort of eagerness to go. No, no longer any sort of expectation of, like, I might, I might be changed by having gone. That This is, like, so important that I make that. That, that kind of thing is gone. And, and there really doesn't have to be any justifications. It's just, actually, because it's so routine, it's so ordinary, it's become part of the rhythm. Not really thinking about it too much. So, so get those two kind of scenarios, those two people in your mind, and then... And then contrast that with some scriptures I want to I read this morning. So one of those is in Psalm 122. And I, I'm going to be looking at several scriptures. It may be easiest to look at them on the, on the screen, but you're, of course, welcome to turn to them. Psalm 122, 1 says, I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. And maybe in either one of those scenarios I described, whatever, whyever, they might be present at a church on a Sunday morning. It just doesn't feel much like that. There seems to be a disconnect between the psalmist who says, I was glad, I was just raring to go when someone else said, let's go to the house of the Lord. Or Psalm 111, uh, Champ read it earlier. Praise the Lord. I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart in the company of the upright in the congregation. Giving thanks. Or, or this one, Psalm 27, 4. One thing, one thing have I asked of the Lord? Not 13 things. One thing have I asked of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. To gaze on the beauty of the Lord, to inquire in his temple. Here's the question. Why does Sunday morning often seem very different than those verses described? Does the psalmist have a grasp of something that I don't have a grasp on. And I just extend it a little wider. Does the psalmist have a grasp on something that we as a church family maybe don't have a grasp on? It, let's, let's keep asking bigger questions. I mean, because often, I mean, we, we go to church, but we often don't think about going. We, we gather, but we don't think about gathering. So let, let's do that. I mean, why does Sunday really, really matter? Is it kind of an add-on? I mean, sure, certainly you can walk with the Lord. Why? Why? Why do worship services 
matter? Is it something kind of like, you know, everybody has their thing. So some people's thing is the PTA, right? That's important to them. It's probably, they probably do great things. And so some people, that's their thing, and they go to the meetings, and probably will be a better place if more people went, but that's their thing. I have my thing, and if I go, I go. If I don't go, is it, is it something like that? Or is there something missing if I don't have that same spirit of the Psalms? Is there something missing here if you aren't here? And so we look at it today. I, I just want you to at least be willing to a- ask and answer some of those questions. I want to zoom out and try to understand, okay, what, what goes on as we gather? What goes on? First of all, let me just say we were created to encounter God. So even as we think about, like, how did we get to a room filled with people on, oh, about 11 o'clock on a Sunday morning? How, how, do, we, how do we get there? If we back up a little bit. We were created to encounter God. God designed this. God designed us with a God consciousness, with a, a desire to be in relationship with him. And, and he desiring to be in relationship with us. He made us with souls. We're not robots. And, you know, sometimes you read people that describe humans as like molecules and chemicals. And and I think that's just very inadequate to describe how we as human beings are. We're made much more than that. We have this impulse to be connected with something greater than we are. We We were created. You were created. Do you realize this? To encounter the Creator. But we go further, like we were made to encounter God, yes, but we were also created to encounter God regularly with other people. So that's slightly different. I mean, how, how do I know this? I mean, I can, I can see multiple places where we're made to have a relationship with God, but, but what does this mean that we're, we're created to encounter God regularly with other people? Well, when God creates Adam, he doesn't leave Adam alone. As a matter of fact, he says, it's not good that Adam should be alone, and that has lots of implications for marriage. But it certainly has implications for two people now encountering God together. So Adam certainly had a relationship with God. But then there's Eve as well. I think of Abraham who had, I mean, pretty amazing encounters with God. But that moves to this promise that Abraham received that it wouldn't just be God and Abraham, but it would be God, Abraham, and an entire family. Moses had some incredible encounters with God. The, the most significant that we read about is this burning bush encounter with God. And yet, God says, Moses, I'm going, to, I'm going to make you the leader for a nation, not just an individual, but a nation. Encountering God regularly involves other people. As you begin to read the Bible, I mean, so you set out to read through the Bible and you read Genesis and lots of the stories I talked about in Exodus and some of the stories I just talked about. And then you get to Leviticus and you realize there's a tent and there's sacrifices and there's priests. What's going on with that? It, it, it reminds us something that while God desires to have an encounter with us and has taken the initiative to do so, because of our sin, we, we have obstacles in the way. I mean, God's everywhere, but to really encounter him a holy God, as we are sinners, we have to have something to help us get there more than just our own good intentions. So God, God gives a tent of meeting where God's people will meet with him, will encounter him. But the tent of meeting sits in the midst of the whole, all the tribes. 
So there's this kind of recognition as I go to the tent of meeting to meet with God, I'm also going to the tent of meeting and I'm meeting with other people. We're made to encounter God regularly with other people. The, the priest, another person, offers sacrifices for me and there's all sorts of sacrifices, uh, atoning ones and lifestyle ones and thanksgiving ones and worship-filled ones and all those are done by a priest. And so even as I go to encounter God in the Old Testament, I would go and encounter him with other people. That priest stands in the place of God. Do we realize that God wants us to encounter him regularly with other people? As we read further in scripture, you go through the first like probably two-thirds of your Bible and then the last third begins to develop something even more fully and that is that our encounter with God is now routed through Jesus Christ. Christ. Our encounter with God, once Jesus comes, is entirely routed through him. It's because he's the priest. He's the priest who makes the sacrifice. So to encounter God now, since Jesus has come, since he has died on the cross for us, we encounter God through Jesus Christ. He makes the sacrifice as priest, but he is the sacrifice. The perfect lamb of God, scripture says. John 1 says, not only is he the priest and the sacrifice, but the word Jesus became flesh and and tabernacled among us. That word tabernacle is the tent of meeting. He dwelt with us. He came to be with us. And so now to encounter God, we we will go through Jesus. It's just interesting. I mean, the, you have the temple, the tabernacle in the Old Testament. And Jesus says he is that temple in the New Testament. He is the temple. But as he begins to describe the temple, he not only says that he's the temple, but he says those that are Christians, you're the temple. So you read something like 1 Corinthians 3. It says, do you not know that you are God's temple? And that God's spirit dwells in you. So individually, there are those that are in Christ and you are a temple of God. God dwells in you. God meets with you regularly inside of you. But as you keep reading in in the New Testament, the imagery, it kind of expands on this idea of, of individuals being the temple. Look at Ephesians 2. Ephesians 2 says, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints. You're members of the family, the household of God. And you're built on this foundation of the apostles and prophets. Christ Jesus himself is the cornerstone in whom this whole structure. So do you get the picture? I mean, there's a like these little pieces of a building and this whole structure comes together and you and I are the pieces. And notice what it says, this whole structure is being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you, plural, are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. There's a shift there. Yes, you individually are the temple, but then we are all pieces of this holy temple that God dwells in us as a people, as a people gathered together. That's why in 1 Peter 2 and verse 4 and 5, it says that you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, and, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves like living stones 
are being built up as a spiritual house to be that holy priesthood, offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God. What if we appreciated this fact that gathered together, we are the temple of God and God dwells here. So earlier this week, I walked around this room and it's a fine room. It's wonderful. But there's something very different about walking around this room on a a Thursday morning at about 10 o'clock and nobody in here and walking in as God's people are singing, as God's people have gathered together. We become the temple where God dwells. That just changes everything. So then my routine of like finding the parking spot I want and walking in and getting my worship guide, getting a cup of coffee, making sure everything's taken care of, finding my, uh, shall we say, unassigned seat. But we all know like that's my seat, the unofficial assigned seat. We kind of go through those motions and routines. Is it very, very different when we recognize, no, actually I'm walking into an encounter with Christ, like God's going to be present because God's people are here. Our encounter with God is now routed through Jesus Christ. But not only that, I think we can also say there are powerful aspects to encountering Christ that we only experience as we gather with his people. There are powerful aspects to encountering Christ that we are only going to experience as we gather with his people. So picture with me. I mean, so it's Friday morning and I get up early and I want to have my quiet time with the Lord. I'm going to read the Bible. I'm going to... Uh, say some prayers and I'm going to think about the Lord, kind of settle my heart before the day. And there's something, there's something good about that and there's something right about that. And still I'm saying there are powerful aspects of encountering Christ that I'm not going to have at my kitchen table on a Friday morning by myself. What could those be? I mean, what's unique? What sets this apart? Well, surely you can worship God at any time. Surely you don't have to walk in this room at, oh, let's say 11 o'clock to really worship the Lord. Surely that, we, we understand that. But beyond that, I mean, is there something that happens here that you won't get in your house and you won't get, hap- you won't get with just you and the Lord? Can I give you some ideas of that? This is what the Lord impressed on my heart this week. First of all, the fact is we are all different. And because we are all different, that variety makes our encounter with Christ fuller. I want you to understand this. We are all different. Snapshot tells the story we are all very different. Yet that variety makes our encounter with Christ fuller. The moment there's one other believer, there are things that she brings to the table that I don't. A range of experiences and encounters and expressions. So I might sing not for a moment, but I'm singing with someone else who might have experienced that truth in a different way. It's the difference between a, a soloist, which, which can be beautiful, an entire symphony, when the percussion and the strings and the woodwinds and the brass all come together. There's this wide range. Of, that, that's what it is. That's what it is as people are added. There's a variety and no two, what a, no, no two of us have that one experience with God that's exactly the same. And we bring that variety. Can you see what, what you gain and what we all might miss if you're not present, if you don't make it a priority? We are all different, but we are also together. 
And that unity makes our encounter with Christ clearer. We are all different, but we are also all together. The moment there is one other believer, there's a give and a take. It's just not present when it's just me and Jesus. There's relational differences. But then we unify around the things that are clearly the most important. It's the difference between playing uh, or, or rowing as a, a one-person sport and rowing as a, an eight-person sport, an entire crew. There's something clear about we are all together in this. We are all hearing the same words, agreeing to the same prayers, contributing to the same offering, taking the same Lord's Supper, singing the same songs. We're together in this. We're saying, this is our Lord. We're, we're very different, but then we come together and, and there's expressions. Can't you see what we, what we gain? And can't you see what we all might miss if we are not present, being unified together? I, I can't get that. Just me and Jesus. I need you. Finally, we are all participants. And that intensity makes our encounter with Christ deeper. The moment there's one other believer, there's the potential for this grander appreciation of who God is. And that just became so clear to me as I was thinking back uh, a few weeks ago and uh, watching the national championship game in basketball. So what an amazing game. I'm in two amazing shots in the last few seconds. And so those shots are amazing, period. But uh, no offense to those from Minnesota, but if you're in upstate Minnesota and you go to a park and those shot, same shots were hit at those park and nobody's watching, I don't think there's quite a grand appreciation of what that moment was. But the minute there's 60,000 people in NRG Stadium and the moment there are millions that are watching, watching this shot and that shot, the, it's the moment that fundamentally that shot didn't change, but then, yeah, it kind of did. It's an intensely different experience. As we all participate, as we all say, that is unbelievable. As we all either cheer or cry because of the, the amazing nature of that shot. There's a grander experience in oh, God's the same. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, forever. There's such a deeper, intense experience. When we come together, there's those opportunities to remember and rehearse the gospel, to demonstrate our unity in the gospel, to receive God's word together and submit to it, to serve, to care, to pray, to be more aware of his presence. And these aren't just rituals. Gathering together is an encounter with Christ. Can I just say then, encountering Christ with other Christians becomes that vital part of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Encountering Christ with other Christians is that vital part of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Hebrews 10 expresses this so clearly. So Hebrews 10 starts off with this kind of, we have this great access to Jesus. What could be better than that? What more do we need to do? Just take advantage of that access to Jesus. Draw near to him. Hold fast your confession. But then verse 24 of Hebrews 10 says, And let us consider how to stir each other up to love and to good works, not neglecting to meet together. Not neglecting. 
Surely, you, surely we all could turn that into something legalistic, not neglecting to meet together, but meeting together all the more. And no, I mean, we could turn that into, okay, well, what's the minimum requirement here? Is that like two Sundays a month? Is that three Sundays? What do I have to do to minimally meet that requirement of not neglecting to meet together if it's so important? And I feel like, ah, you're just asking the wrong questions, all the wrong questions. How often do you want to meet with God's people to encounter Christ? That that's, that's the question. We have those regular rhythms so that our heart says something like Psalm 84. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, yes, faints for the Lord, the courts of the Lord, my heart and my flesh. Sing for joy like we did a few moments ago to the living God. Sparrow is even finding a home. Verse 4, blessed are those who dwell in your house that are ever singing your praise. Verse 10, for a day in your courts is better than a, a thousand elsewhere. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in tents of wickedness. For the Lord is a sun and a shield. Who would not want to draw near to that? The Lord bestows favor and honor. Who doesn't want to encounter that? Nothing good does he keep back from those who walk uprightly. Do you want to encounter that kind of God? O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in you. So the question might be today, if I really think meeting with God's people is important and valuable, what actual difference does it make in my life? Surely things that are important to us make a difference. What difference does it make in your life? And, and kind of to guide us through thinking through that carefully, okay, answering that question, I I want to ask you to give your attention to our associate pastor. We're, so we're going to do something a little bit different because I want Chris to come and, and share. Chris leads worship uh, often here and also gives guidance to our student ministry. And I want, I want him to walk us through, like, what does it mean if we have a priority to have an encounter with the Lord? What will that look like in our lives? Chris, come share. Well, I want to leave you three words this morning that are, are hopefully easily accessible handholds for us as we think through this. The first of those words is prioritize. And I remember when I first graduated from college and got a real job in the real world and was so excited to get a, a decent paycheck, I went out and there was a new gym just down the street from my house. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to join the gym. I was so excited and got down there and they said... If you, you know, pay the whole year off right now, we'll give you a great discount. So there it is. I wrote the big, big boy check and sent it in. And after the whole year membership, I went seven times. And you know what was different about me after that year? Nothing. Nothing. Because I hadn't made it a priority. I said, this is something I want to do. Maybe I had great ambition to start off with, but we prioritize what's valuable to us. Right? And what va- is valuable to us are the things that change us. And the things that we can commit to that much that they have an effect on us so much that we go, I, I need this. That this is what's making me healthy. This is what's keeping me healthy. This is what's something that is a regular rhythm that I'm getting into. And so as a 25-year-old, that wasn't a rhythm that I was diving into. And I realized, well, I, I gave the money and I-, I-, I made a good commitment, but over the year, nothing had changed. We're not called to just go through the routine. Ephesians 2 calls it that we're God's workmanship. We're his constant lump of clay that he's trying to mold us and make us into what he wants us to be. 
And that, that's going to require change in us. And so what are we choosing to say, I want this to change me, or I want this to change me, or I want this to change me? We believe Scripture obviously points drastically toward be with the body together regularly. That will change you. That being sharpened, that being encouraged is what's going to change you. As one who has the privilege and the challenge of working with teenagers, we work with you as parents to to help guide them through decision-making. And as we look at this idea of prioritization, it's something that you do with some advanced planning. Right? You, you start at one point and you look toward the future and go, okay, what do we want to line up? How, do, how does the schedule work? Well, what's important to us? And as we think of, of, of our students, we think, well, when they get 18 and as they leave home, what, what do we want to be true of them? And do our priorities currently line up with that? Because I've had some of those hard conversations where what was a priority when they were 13, 14, 15 was fine, and they get to 18 and they go, my, my kid has a, a state first place winning backstroke, but could care less about God. Is that what we want with our kids? Is that what we want to be able to say, what's most important, we've kept most important. It was very telling to me when we just did the, the parent panel uh, the, earlier this year on Wednesday nights. That of a variety of different parents from a variety of different backgrounds and different stories, what was common through all of them is they said, we made Sunday morning meeting a priority. And if anything, we're saying, well, if you're going to join this league or if you're going to be a part of this or do this, then you need to be here Sunday morning. Then we didn't do it because we said this is a priority to us. And so I encourage you as a family, I encourage you as an individual to go do what I say is my priorities. If somebody were to watch me this week, would they'd say your priorities don't line up with what you do? We want to encourage you to prayerfully consider, make this a priority, that, that, that's something regular that we get into to not just come, but now for our second word, anticipation. What do we anticipate when we come? This idea of you are here, we, we've gotten from the, that fun sign at the mall, right? And when you get there, as Curtis has said, this, this communicates two things. One, where you are currently located, and then what path you need to take to get to where you need to go. And as I think about going to the mall, I, I already have in my head certain things that I anticipate. I anticipate probably needing to park in a different time zone than the Christiana Mall to get into the building, right? Uh, I, I already know and anticipate I'm probably going to try and avoid eye contact with any kiosk worker. I don't need to smell like jasmine today, thank you. And I know, even though I don't know what it is yet, I probably need to pick something up from Target. There's a list of certain things that we know I'm going to anticipate that. And Curtis mentioned what that is at church. We anticipate sitting in our spot. We anticipate getting a, a, a friendly smile, a warm, warm handshake, and, and a piece of paper from a greeter. We anticipate a nice cup of coffee. We anticipate certain things. But with the long-term planning of, of prioritization, there's this, what, what are we excited? What, what's building up to what's coming on Sunday? Are we anticipating being able to encourage somebody? Are we anticipating being able to, to pray with somebody who we, we, we know are going through something that we can even just say, brother, sister, I'm praying for you. I've been thinking about you this week. I'm anticipating being able to be together with the body. But one thing we want to be able to do, as much as we know that there are certain things we would anticipate already going to the mall or going somewhere else, when you come here, we want you to, to already know some of the things that are going to happen. And not just that you're going to have Sunday Bible study, you're going to have a sermon, 
But the, we, in the weekly email, we want to put in there what, what the scripture is going to be that we're going to address on Sunday. We want to put in what are the list of songs that we're going to sing on Sunday. So if there's certain ones you're going, I don't think I know that, that you're not sitting in here going, uh, uh, and try and get lost in learning a melody, but you can go, I can listen to that ahead. I, I can go, I really love that line, or I like this point. Let, let me be able to really sing that out when we're together. And so we want to give you that much to be able to communicate, to say, here's what's coming. And so now it's not just a matter of I show up and I wonder what's going to happen, but now when I'm here, I'm anticipating that we're going to look at this passage. And I've already read that this week, and I... I I wonder what, what else Curtis is going to bring or somebody's going to bring that's going to go. I, I, I already get it. Now what, what's more there for me? Am I anticipating what's going to happen? Do I come with some expectancy or am I kind of stuck in a routine of this is just what we do on a Sunday morning? The next step, I, the next word I want us to grab is the word respond. And so there's the prioritization of saying, from here on out, I, I want to make this a priority, but advanced planning, anticipation is that in, in the moments beforehand, what am I looking forward to? What am I praying about? What am I reading? But now respond is in the moment. It's here. It's right now. And it's, it's these opportunities that uh, I've been thinking about when it comes to worship, this phrase that surrender is the currency of worship. If I come and I have zero desire to surrender anything, worship probably doesn't mean a whole lot to me. And I'm, I'm surrendering my time, I'm surrendering my energy, I'm surrendering things like that, but when I'm coming, am I going, God, I, I need to surrender something this morning. I need to realize that, that my pride's getting in the way in this area, that, that I, I need you. And the more that I can surrender to you, that God doesn't want part of us. He doesn't want just certain things he's asking for. He wants all of us. And that's a constant evaluation on our part to go, God, am I serving you and loving you in this area? Am I surrendering this area to you? Am I surrendering this area? And so we come going, God, here's all of me. You've saved all of me. You have a purpose for all of me. Allow me not to hold any of that back. And so how can I show you, how can I surrender more to you? And therefore coming to a place that is full of diverse people. If you think about it, how many opportunities do you get to sing with a group of, of diverse people of diverse ages? If it's not a ball game singing the national anthem or happy birthday, it's when you get to come into a place here and say, the reason we're singing is far greater than a ball game. It's far greater than even celebrating somebody's birthday, as wonderful as that is. It's saying we have the greatest cause in the universe that here is people from all walks of life that come in here on the exact same plane of saying we're all here because we recognize that we're sinners. We recognize that we've been redeemed and bought with the blood of Jesus. And so no matter what we're coming into this with, we can all celebrate that together. And so we come in to sing that out at the top of our lungs. And so we want to respond accordingly. And so with that is our surrendering that, of saying, God, maybe I don't sing that great. God doesn't care neighbor behind you or in front of you might care a little bit. But then if you're singing out, we want to be able to say, God, I, I, don't, I don't want to hold on to my pride in these areas. So we encourage you in the service to be singing, in, in the service to be actively praying with whoever is praying. That it's not just words of somebody, but to, to think, do I agree with that? Can I echo that as well? Are we receiving God's word actively? Are we reading it or just allowing somebody to talk to us? And then are we allowing that to change us? One thing that, that we pride ourselves with at Ogletown, and, and you guys do incredibly well with, but we want to definitely encourage you to keep going, immediately following the service, 
A way that you can respond is to be able to connect with people. We love seeing pockets of conversations after the service, of people going, I'm not just punching a a time clock. I'm not just checking a box. I'm saying there are people here that I want to invest in. There are people here that I've been praying for that maybe I can pray with right now that that this is more of just a, a relational thing for us. We want to be able to connect with people who are growing and be able to pray with them. And so I encourage you to do that. We have people that we're, are intentionally assigned to come up here after the service and be here if you ever need prayer. It can be something that's been talked about. It can some, be something that's happened during the week that has no connection with the topic of the day or the passage of the day. But just to say, can somebody pray with me? It's been a lonely week. It's been a week battling this. It's been a week of struggling this. We just found out this. We always want to have people that are here that are willing to pray with you, and we welcome that. So we encourage you to, to be able to surrender that uh, and pray, and then be able to, to be able to, to serve and volunteer to go. It's not about just, there are great people up here that never ask for prayer, but that all of us need to do that. And so we encourage you to be a part of that. I want us to take a minute and, and look at these three words. There may be some that you go, I think we're doing this one well, but, but are we anticipating things during the week? Are we, are we fully surrendering? Are we just sort of checking boxes and going, God, we come in, we sing songs, we listen to the word, and then we go. But is there some way that we can we can respond better. I want to give you a minute. As the band comes, we want to be able to, to sing a song. There's some immediate application here uh, in singing. But we're going to sing some words that are, are saying, this is what I'm committed to. That if these three things are what we're saying, God, for me to encounter you, I want to be consistent in these. I want to be growing in these. And so I encourage you now, if you'll pray with me, Father, we praise you for being a God who who has created us to be in relationship with you. God, when we think of your holiness and and your power and your strength and and your sovereignty, you are so huge and we are so tiny, and yet you desire to say, I want to know you. I want to grow in a relationship with you. And God, as we're here, as we're we're, we're striving to, to obey you, as we're striving to understand what it is you have for us, God, give us wisdom to understand what you're teaching. Give us the courage to change the things we need to change. Give us the the desire to to encounter you in every aspect of our life. And and God, to to take this seriously of this, this institution you've created in the church. God, allow us to give you our full attention. And Father, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.